The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Two men with identities forged in the white-hot fires of the 90s comic book boom, now ready to re-examine the era where heroes became extreme and what magazine gave rise to a market of speculation. If you've got the guts, prepare to enter the world of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 81 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, the podcast where we re-examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. Still wondering why Marvel never did a promotional festival in Central Park to advertise the launch of Marvel Knights called Marvel Kites? I'm Adam. And returning on the podcast tonight is a man who was denied membership of the Avengers for being too darn sexy. Can't have him distracting our mightiest heroes after all. He used to be decent, but now he's back to raise a ruckus. It's Kevin Hellions. Hello, everyone, and I'm perfect timing for this. So one of my friends called it a D-rebrand. And uh, I'll have a long post on my own site, but I'm just like, everyone that records with me, writes with me, whatever, in our universe knows me as Hellions. Let's go back to it. So, yeah, you've been writing for many years as Kevin Hellions. You kind of took a break, went back to your your regular civilian name, so to speak. But now Hellions does come from New Mutants, right? That's what you're pulling it from? Or was it was there a different origin? No, no. So we we haven't gone over this? I don't think so on the show yet. All right. So when I first started writing, it was uh, Cloverfield that got me going online. The original trailer before Transformers, hmm. I was deep diving on it. And like, what can I find out on Reddit, on like message boards, on everything? I'm like, I need a place for all of this. But I want to talk wrestling. I want to talk comics. I want to talk all the things that I love. But I'm like, what name encompasses everything? And I almost called it Rivals. Real close to calling it Rivals. And then Maddie Treats, who I did the house show podcast with, was messing around with making music, singing, rapping, whatever. And he did a song and it was called Hellions. And the line was, there's two sides to every man. One is a gentleman. The other is a hellion. (laughs) And I'm like, damn it. I love that. I really love that. And I'm like, hellions just, it really, it can encompass everything that i want it to so it was just it started out hellions magazine was the first one and then people are like you're not really magazine i'm like well whatever and then i did uh team hellions as we established trying to rebrand and be me whatever (laughs) a lot of stuff happened in life and then recently i'm like i'm hellions that's it and someone bought team hellions uh whatever web host thing in india bought it i can't get it back hellions.com is bought up and just sitting there and parked the hellions is two thousand dollars if i wanted it so i said no so hellions team there's many people that have allowed me to be kevin hellions over the years yourself included rest of the retro network included a lot of people and that's the team that made me i love it you're back in business that's great we'll hear some more about your upcoming projects at the end of the show but here's the thing see back in the day you you want to let everybody know who you are you're writing in what's it going to say on the envelope oh kevin hellions is writing in we're going to check out what wizard was getting in their mail with willie lumpkin's mailbag (laughs) 
So first up here, an America Online user named Benji Kaplan is sending an email. He's inquiring about the results of a, a classic comic Smackdown that apparently he just didn't read. He just heard about it. So let's get into it here. He says, hello there. While flipping through your price guide, I saw a one-shot edition titled Superman vs. Spider-Man. I wanted to see who would win such a battle, so I tried to find that comic to no avail. Anyway, I figured if I wanted to know what happened, I should just ask you. So who won? Soups or Spidey? I gotta ask, do you have any version of this comic in your collection, Kevin? No, I have the Marvel versus DC collection, but the the series that led up to Amalgam. Oh, okay. So I have that, but I don't have this because there was uh, Superman versus Spider-Man, Batman versus Hulk, X-Men versus Teen Titans. And it, at some point was all collected, but as we know with Warner and Disney, that's long out of print. Yeah, I, I um, have it though, because I bought it in the 90s. So I have the crossover classics trade. And yeah, it's a great, great collection. There's actually twice that Superman and Spider-Man teamed up. It's just the first time they fought, the second time they knew each other. But let's find out uh, what the results were. According to Jim McLaughlin here, he says, hello. The answer to your $64,000 question is none of the above which when you think about it is pretty darn stupid now don't get me wrong i love spidey but any comic fan who hasn't been sniffing mylar realizes that soups would mop the floor with the old webhead if it came down to that but since these intercompany battles have to be nice and politically correct no one actually wins a fight unless it's a marvel versus dc sort of thing where they determine winners through fan polling and take the decision making out of the publisher's hands bottom line no one has the guts to admit their character would lose such a fight it would be a loss of for a company to admit that its character would come out a loser, even if it's a Galactus versus Little Audrey battle. That's a fact, Jack. <laughs> Go ahead, prove me wrong. Any publisher willing to let its character get his or her butt whooped but good by another publisher's character in a real published intercompany crossover will get a dollar from me and a cookie. Your choice of cookie. <laughs> I mean, basically, they always start out with the classic misunderstanding fight, then they team up, right? I, I've always wondered, like, can you think of another besides Marvel versus DC where it was like an actual like battle like where like two companies came together it was like let's just have them fight you know did we get Batman Punisher two Batman Punishers two Batman Punishers yeah uh, Spawn Batman which yeah we don't really get an answer for it even like a I think it was Superman versus Aliens and Batman versus Predator. Batman versus Predator is fantastic. And I think that one, because the Predator loses in the movies anyways, it was okay for him to lose to Batman. Yeah, that makes sense. And then they did it two more times. <laughs> they were fun, though. They were yeah. loads of fun. Those are really good. All right, well, why don't you take us into our next letter here? All right. I don't know if this is on purpose or not, considering other dietary changes I had to go through, Adam. <laughs> Patrick Holm is a very interesting question, and uh, it's one of my favorite topics that just it, it hurts me now. But he says, Dear Jim McLaughlin, what are Stan the Man Lee's, David Finch's, and your favorite cereals? Fantastic question. Jim replies, Stan Lee, David Finch, me, cereal. Now there's a weird combo. Anywho, Stan the Man says, Quaker, 100% oats and honey always gets me going in the morning. <laughs> Ascension writer and artist Finch says his fave is Count Chocula by a landslide. I just love the little marshmallows. Me? I prefer Pig's Eye Pilsner, which I'm sure we can all agree is a fine cereal beverage. I was 20 when this issue came out, but I was like straight edge, innocent, naive and all. I did not get this joke at the time. <laughs> 
I would love to see Stan Lee on the Quaker Oats box. Like as it stands right now, the Quaker Oats guy looks like my dad in a wig in a hat. So every time I see Quaker Oats, I'm like, dad, but that's hilarious to me. And of course we're entering the Halloween season. Count Chocula is all over the place right now. They're already out. So just not to make this the Kevin show, because this is Adam's show and we celebrate wizard each and every week. But in my old age, I recently had to go gluten-free as well. And there's the brand new character for the monster cereals. And I can't eat it. Oh, I'm going to get sick. If I eat it, that is it a bummer. Me so mad. I mean, but oh, traditionally, what is your favorite cereal then? I mean, I, have loved them all like cereals like me and the willie nelson to all the girls i've loved before like i've loved so <laughs> many so many cereals over the years if i'm going for like the regular ones honestly yeah like count chocolate is fantastic always loved it. it is it's chocolate it's marshmallow it is absolutely perfect if i'm going for like an old school one like a good retro memory I think the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cereal was one of the best ones ever. It was pretty much rice checks with marshmallows. That one was great. I would agree, but the new one for the Mutant Mayhem movie, I've bought two boxes already. I love it. Like, it's got a better flavor because it actually reminds me there were Ninja Turtles cookies that they yep. sold in the turtle van. And then there was one that was like a full body, I think, at one point or something like that. There was like more of a cookie jar and they were apple cinnamon flavored, at least one of the flavors they offered. And that's what the cereal tastes like now and i was like oh it takes me back it made me so happy but my answer is kind of boring i was raised in a house where my mom is eating shredded wheat grape nuts all she would buy for me was cheerios and rice krispies like that's as fancy as we got but i love raisin nut bran like i have since i was in in the 90s it's so good it's like the closest you can get it's like mom it's healthy but it's got Mm. those little you know raisin nut things with the coating or uh raisin bran crunch that's what i also buy that too yeah yeah it's great oh it's so good shockingly good no toy inside but most of them don't have a toy inside now anyways yeah <laughs> well like stan tells us there it gets him going in the morning mm-hmm. you know, it just gets me going you know brand yeah. that'll help you out keep you regular yeah. another joke i probably <laughs> didn't get in my 20s All right. Well, hey, there's so much to talk about. You and I were messaging back and forth. There's a lot of great stuff in this issue. So I say we just jump in with our... Our top story of this issue, Event Horizon, provides the official announcement that Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti from Event Comics have been contracted by Marvel to produce four titles for them, which at this time were identified as Daredevil, Inhumans, Black Panther, and an unnamed miniseries. Now, quelling any concerns fans might have about another Heroes Reborn-style revamp, Quesada explains, quote, We're not going to retell anyone's origin. We're taking up the characters right where they left off. There are no baffling changes, no pocket universe here. I don't want to wipe out what has come before. I mean, Stan Lee already got it right the first time. That's how you get the fanboys on your side, right? (laughs) Now, of course, the literal big news is that indie filmmaker Kevin Smith will be writing Daredevil with Quesada and Palmiotti providing the art. As the future Marvel editor-in-chief reveals, quote, getting Kevin was huge. He's already getting us mainstream publicity in Entertainment Weekly and on MTV. No, not you, Kevin. (laughs) Jimmy Palmiotti has reportedly used his connection to get veteran artist Bernie Wrightson to draw The Punisher. Meanwhile, Jay Lee will be drawing Inhumans and Mark Teixeira will be on Black Panther with Christopher Priest writing. Now, as for how long this partnership between Marvel and Event will last, Jimmy Palmiotti declares, quote, it's completely open-ended. We're not going in with the mindset of hit and run. We want to be here for a good long while. So I got to ask, Kevin, for you, did you have any anticipation of what eventually, it was 
wasn't even being called Marvel Knights at this point. But when these books were announced, was Kevin Smith a draw for you? Like, what was it? So for those that don't know me, because Adam does already, and a lot of listeners do, I tell stories to get to a point. So forgiveness ahead of time. (laughs) I was already a big fan of Kevin Smith when this news came out. If I had to list like the biggest influences on what made me me, it's my parents, Stanley and Kevin Smith. Wow. Like dead serious. And I, I can be mad at him for some things, you know, as I'm an adult and as we both got older and everything. But at this point, I was there day one. I'm like, Kevin Smith's writing Daredevil. I need it. I was already buying. I bought the Oni double feature that had the little like a uh, clerk story in it from Oni Press. I was already on board anything Kevin Smith behind me. For those of you on the Patreon, you can see some of it. Behind me, I cleared up my shelves and like everything has like, here are things important to me. Kevin Smith has an entire shelf over there. Like still to this day, even though sometimes I get really mad at him, I've never met him or anything, but like some days I'm like, ah, I don't quite agree with you. He's still a huge influence. And I was so excited for this. I don't think we get the movie without this run oh no yeah and i mean like i love like my favorite daredevil run nothing against this run but my favorite when i first discovered comics and nascenti she was writing it john ramita jr was drawing it and they just destroyed daredevil it was uh, the typhoid mary storyline and they just absolutely destroyed him and it took two about two years for him to come back up to where he felt he could get back at them just a an amazing destruction and rebuild story. That was my introduction to Daredevil. And everyone else, the beautiful thing, and my friends, Joe and Todd, over on another podcast, they've been making the point, because Daredevil's about to get a new creative team again, they're like, it seems the pattern is every writer destroys everything, like has everything in chaos when they leave, so the new person has to come in and clean it up. But it's like the Daredevil tradition. Like, even worse than your Peter Parker luck is Matt Murdock. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would agree, because like in my long box, like the only Daredevil comics I bought back in the day is like, you know, that era. But yeah, it's interesting to think, because like for me, I was not on the Kevin Smith train. Like, I was at Blockbuster, I would see Clerks, I would see Mallrats. Like, but I think I found out who Kevin Smith was through Wizard. Like, that's where his, like, identity to me, I always connected him more to comics because I caught up with his movies like a decade later. Like, I was just like, oh, this guy makes movies, but everybody's so excited that now he's going to write comics. Okay. You know, but I never, I still never picked him up because I was moving out of mainstream at this point and I was going more to the indie stuff in the end of the 90s, early 2000s. So even though Marvel Knights was, like, getting a lot of press and Wizard, I was like, mm, I mean, I don't really want to read Daredevil. I have no interest. Uh, you know, Punisher I never read him you know like that kind of thing so all the titles they were taking in everybody's like oh it's a cool new direction I'm like "Mm, I'll wait and I still haven't read him so I'm going to be reading him as we get into this I'm going to catch up for the first time with Marvel Knights so I'm excited Inhumans is it's Inhumans it's nothing really Punisher if you don't recall which version of Punisher this is it has got to be the most hated version of Punisher ever. But Black Panther, as much as I said we don't get Daredevil without this run, we do not get the Black Panther movie without this. Like, they took Black Panther from Forgotten into Matters into Top Tier. And that movie is bigger than just a Marvel movie. Adam and I being who we are, I'm not going to speak for it, but we are well aware that movie is very, very important to a lot of people. And we don't get it without them relaunching Black Panther and making it matter again. Yeah. I mean, here's what would have sold me at the time. I didn't 100% realized Christopher Priest was writing it. So if they had said, from the writer of Quantum and Woody, I probably would have checked it out, even though it's a very different tone, I'm sure. But (laughs) I I would have been very interested. But why don't you take us into our next story here? All right. 
David jumped ship off Aquaman. This article reports that after 46 issues of redefining the Aquaman character, Peter David is leaving the title in May of 1998. The writer explains, quote, chalk it up to the celebrated creative differences and leave it at that, end quote. In the interim, a two-issue story by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. God, they've been pairing up forever. Sorry. <laughs> Jeez. Pitting the Silver Age Aquaman against the Harpoon Hand version will be published in issues 47 and 48. David isn't leaving DC altogether, though, since he states his plan to stay on as the writer of Supergirl for the foreseeable future. In a truly impressive career, do you... Adam, have a favorite Peter David run. I mean, I'm so aware of everything he's written, right? And so for me, he's always the writer of Spider-Man 2099. That was the first like new title that I loved and I read and read and read and bought and bought and bought. So like that was one that like was big for me. But I got to say something that might be creeping up right now, because like I've, I haven't gone back and read very much of his Hulk run. I've read, you know, select issues here and there. But Young Justice, I just started reading Young Justice and I'm like, wow, right as Jed 13 was falling off a cliff, I wish I had tried out Young Justice justice because it just has that exact same energy that i was looking for so that might end up on the top of my list pretty soon once i get through it young justice the comic now someone's not in this house right now but someone who is 10 and i are doing our second watch of the young justice tv show which builds off of the comic which also i believe peter david actually i'm positive of it i can't tell exactly which one's off the top of my head but he does write a couple of the episodes of the show as well as we're do doing it the second time we're both seeing things that we didn't catch the first time we don't know where the story's going later in season one season two and whatever so we don't see the building blocks because we're not aware they're building blocks yet but now that we've watched the whole thing we're seeing building blocks in the first episodes of the first season i'm like oh my god it's all right here this show is brilliant it's even better the second time we're watching it so the comic's like I gotta give Peter David the credit for it. He's very well known. Another podcast I do with my friend Chris, he's a huge Star Trek person. Peter David's written a ton of Star Trek novels. Yeah. A ton of them. I haven't gone through any of them just because I read more comics than I do quote real books. Big air quotes <laughs> there for the people on Patreon. But when he did the X-Factor relaunch with X-Factor 70, when the original five members of the X-Men leave and rejoin X Blue and Gold, X-Factor gets relaunched. And that team was very interesting. Very cool. I enjoyed that run as well. Captain Marvel, the volume four. It's silly. It's goofy. It's Rick Jones. It's almost Shazam in a way. It's almost like him doing a Marvel version of Shazam, but it's very fun, very forgotten, though, as well. The Hulk run, Future Imperfect's fantastic with Hulk and Maestro. And the more and more I see about what he did with Hulk and the psychological stuff and the different aspects to someone, I don't think I would have appreciated that in my teens and 20s. But I think, as someone who is known wide as different names, I think the aspect of different versions of the Hulk and who's going to come out and having Doc Samson sit down and the stuff that Peter David did, I think would be fascinating for me to read now, though. So I kind of want to go through it. I'm seriously debating going ahead and sign up for Marvel Unlimited soon. But I do want to mention, too, they say here that there's this Silver Age Aquaman against, you know, the 90s Aquaman. And it's weird because I think DC was just stealing Rod Mars's idea for Green Lantern 100 that we were just reporting on, because that's another one. Kyle Rayner is now meeting up with Silver Age Hal Jordan. I think they were just like, we got to fill it. Let's do this story. Like, it's already in the works. We'll do another one. So well, now, tangent, not the DC spinoff, but an actual <laughs> tangent here. Um, are you familiar with who rick rubin is oh yeah 
Okay, so Rick Rubin just had a book come out, and it's pretty much like uh, self-help, you know, make yourself one with the universe, be positive about yourself, make money, move forward and all. I'm not buying it because the more I read it, I'm like, mm. but there is a lot of good points in there. It just wasn't worth my 30, 40 bucks for it. That's <laughs> the point. But one of the things right away, he said, if you have an idea, act on it right away, because what the universe is going to do is it's going to give you the idea. If you wait too long, it's going to give that idea to someone else. And that's why we have the same ideas pop up the same time. Two movies come out that are exactly the same. These two comics come out with the same plot. To go really crazy here, there's a legend that the first flight was actually in Australia, but no one was around. And by the time word made its way to like the States and England and all, the Wright brothers had already gotten more publicity. So they got the credit, even though this flight happened first. But like, so opposite ends of the world, this major jump in human achievement happens at the same time. So yeah, maybe maybe the Aquaman writers and the Green Lantern writers just happen to have the same idea at the same time and unrelated to anything else. It was just out there in the universe. Could have, could be. Yeah. I don't know. That is interesting. Uh, now, speaking of kind of like uh, old things being new again here too, though, the next story here, original Fab Five to return in Teen Titans relaunch. It announces that Devin Grayson, who had been writing Catwoman with Jim Ballant at this time, is taking over Teen Titans from Dan Jurgens, starting with issue 25. And it's going to bring back the founding members of the team, Dick Grayson, Donna Troy, Wally West, the former Aqualad Garth, no last name, very share, and Roy Harper, who has dropped the speedy name in favor of Arsenal. So they're all grown up now and as Grayson explains quote we'll be dropping the teen and exploring what I've jokingly nicknamed Titans the 20 something years because many of the characters are appearing in other DC titles though it's revealed that quote the original five will nominate a second tier team to contribute in the event of a first stringer's absence and no mention is made of what will become of the new team of young heroes that Jurgens had created for the relaunch of the title two years earlier so what do you think about this idea hey we're bringing them all back but now here's the second stringers who are probably the ones who are actually going to be in the book most of the time you know it's like Nightwing's got his own title. He doesn't have time for it, you know? Yeah, Donna Troy is in everybody's book all the time, everywhere. You know, she won't be here for every story. Like, it's weird, right? It is. It's not Titans that gets me, but we'll we'll get there. First off, it doesn't matter if they're in other books. This is the Wolverine lesson from, like, early parts of Wizard. How can he appear in five books at the same time? Because they're not all taking place the same day. Like, a new issue comes out in a month. This, like, the six-issue storyline took place within, like, two days. All right, he's got 363 other days to mess around with other people you know like just calm down it's all fiction but teen titans does limit it a bit now i think one of the good things they've done in recent years and it's not like the series is already completed but they did teen titans academy so okay our classic titans are pretty much teaching a new group so we can still put teen titans on there and sell books but we have academy so we're opening it up to have a wider age range i'm like okay that makes a lot of sense they did do a book just called titans and now with titans becoming uh number one in dc justice league taking a break i'm like okay that makes sense you guys were finally bumped up to the next level that should have been the whole point even to go back to young justice that was the whole point. We're right here. We're trying to be bumped up to the A team, but we got a little bit more to prove. It's almost like um, NXT for WWE or minor league baseball for people. Or, you know, it's like, here's where you got to prove yourself to make sure you're ready for the next one. My favorite thing. And if you think I don't have a bunch of pitches in my head 
you don't know me, <laughs> is New Warriors. Hmm, yes. Which I won't say was Marvel doing Teen Titans because it was not the same level of heroes, but it was your teenage group, you know, we're going to do things that adults aren't doing or, or aren't paying attention to or whatever. We're going to make our way. But if you brought it back now, that team, that core team from when I was growing up should be in their 20s minimum in the comics now. And they're not really new. But as he who shall not be named made a point of when New Mutants became X-Force, we're 100 issues in. They're not new anymore. So let's call them something else. So you got these uh, teen being adjective for Titans, new for mutants and all. You have these things that kind of pigeonhole them into a little area. But as they grow, and I mean, yeah, it takes decades for comic character age a year or two but still at some point they're not teens anymore then what do you do with them because you can't really call them teen titans as we're as we're discussing here i think you got to give some sort of like teen titans academy i think did it well some sort of branding to make it work but i do think the mentor figures can work as a way to introduce your newer ones yeah it's not a bad idea at all i mean it, it makes sense now i as you were talking about new warriors though i just realized in the bad girl era the fact that they never called them nude warriors for one issue, like where it was crossed out and then it was the nude warriors. And then it was like some sort of joke cover about like an all naked issue. Like it just feels like that would have happened at some point, you know, like all creatively covered up throughout the issue by something, you know, by a force blast or whatever. But like they had to be naked for some mission or something. You know, I don't know. It just seems like it would have been a pun they would have played with. If New Warriors was the name picked by J. Scott Campbell <laughs> instead of Gen 13, we absolutely would have gotten at least a variant cover of Nude Warriors. <laughs> or or one least. of those. What, what, what's that company that did like X-Farce and they were always doing the parody comics? I can't it was remember. just Parody Press. Oh, is that just Parody Press? Okay. Yeah. yeah. They, they should have done that at least. Yeah. I, thought you were gonna say, I, I honestly got to tell you, you're going to say Lightning Comics. <laughs> now, we, we're kind of talking about the past once again, but let's look to the future, Kevin, in our next piece. Ooh. In the future, JLZ, just a lot of zeros. DC's one millionth issue. What a crazy idea. So, DC's one millionth issue. This four issue miniseries called DC One Million by Grant Morrison will catapult, quote, the present day JLA heroes into the 853rd century. I am emphasizing that for a reason. To be honored for their heroic actions in a series of Olympic-style events spread throughout the solar system. Morrison further explains the setup by stating that, quote, Each of the descendants of the JLA live on different planets. You've got the Flash living on Mercury. Perfect. Wonder Woman living on Venus. Also perfect. Superman living inside the sun. Yes. Where he's been secluded for hundreds of years. You've also got the descendants of the modern JLA in a group called Justice Legion A. This is like the Dark Knight Returns for the entire DC Universe, while also being my part of the celebration of Superman's 60th anniversary. End quote. Though not revealed at the time of this article, DC also goes on to publish one million issues for all of its titles, showing what future versions of their heroes would be up to at the same time as this JLA story. Now, Adam, do you remember the event, and do you like futuristic interpretations of some of these classic heroes? 
I will say this. I did not know that it was a mini series by Grant Morrison. All I knew is at the time I was reading Resurrection Man and there was a Resurrection Man number one million and I bought it. I was like, this is so cool. But then I didn't see any of the other one million issues for some reason until just a few months back. I was uh, traveling. I was at a comic store. I'm digging through and then all these books. I got Martian Man, Hunter one million. I got Nightwing one million. I got like all these. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like I didn't realize they existed. And so like I, I didn't grasp it all at the time. I was just like, oh, one of my characters in the future. Yes, because I love that. Just like Spider-Man 2099. I love that whole universe. I, I really, that is a concept that I love. However, I will say that I, in preparation for this episode, I read it and not so good. This DC 1 million four issue miniseries, it's dumb. It, it really, it's not fun. And it's also just kind of confusing. I don't know. I think people have that, that problem sometimes with Grant Morrison where he thinks it's a great idea and maybe in premise it is. But this one in particular, I was just like, it's, it's not what I expected, I guess. Maybe my expectations got in the way, but just the whole like, you know, cop test of champions type thing. I'm kind of like, mm, it's kind of dumb. And then villain pops in to ruin the fun. Grant Morrison works best with a good editor, someone to keep his ideas in line sometimes i almost wish he just had the idea and someone else is the one that actually wrote it and fleshed it out because this is a great idea but yeah the landing um vandal savage because he's immortal ends up being the big villain young justice reference again there for the cartoon like vandal's a great idea perfect idea for it but i'm like yeah it didn't quite land though for some of the stuff also the fact that if we have uh issues coming out monthly so 12 new ones a year it would take until the 853rd century to get to 1 million that's how big a million is let's think of how big a billion is too like i don't think we have really concepts of how big certain numbers are and then you see something i like, like that this. they did the math on that though it's fun oh that's great yeah <laughs> Um, there's a lot of this stuff that's really cool and there's stuff like Justice Legion A is a JLA one. Justice Legion T is their Teen Titans version. Justice Legion L is their Legion of Superheroes version. Like there's a lot of great ideas and Graham Morrison loves comics. He absolutely does. Like, you know, as we're pointing out, like sometimes he lands, sometimes he doesn't, but there is no doubt he loves comics. And you know, like they've played with this before. And now I don't know if you found all the issues because there's a booster gold 1 million that came out 10 years later. Oh, really? <laughs> yup. <laughs> I mean, the whole concept booster gold, it makes sense. So when he yeah. had his own series, they did a 1 million issue where he gets tied into the storyline as well. That's hilarious. Wow. I love it. <laughs> all right. Well, here's the thing. As we close out our wizard news segment, eat up the Marvel media experience uh, has Jim McLaughlin providing an on-site report of the new Marvel mania theme restaurant that had opened up at the universal city walk right next to the universal studios, Hollywood theme park to set the scene. He states quote, the lobby is done up to look like every fanboy's dream an Avengers mansion trophy room. The highlight is a suit of faux iron man armor in a rotating glass display case. Four more glass cases display captain America's shield the Cosmic Cube, the Infinity Gauntlet, and Doctor Doom's Mask. Created exclusively for the restaurant also is an original animated segment called Rumble in the Jungle that's based on a Peter David and Adam Kubert story from Incredible Hulk number 454, which plays on a 20 by 20 video display. It's made up of 25 different monitors, which also plays other animated adventures of Marvel superheroes. Now, McLaughlin also reveals that, quote, each menu doubles as a mini Marvel comic, and the plan is to publish 
publish new menus as new issues to keep customers coming back. But what's on the menu, you might be asking? How about Thor-themed Rainbow Bridge nachos, an Incredible Hulk burger, or Fantastic Four cheese pasta? And for dessert, how could any comics fan resist a piece of Sinister Six Layer Cake or Fin Fang Foom Fruit Fajitas? <laughs> Oh, another Marvel Mania location was being built for Universal Studios Orlando at this time, while expansions to New York City, Tokyo, and Japan were in the planning stages. So, Kevin, how excited would you have been to eat at a restaurant like this, or did you? I did not. So, we did a family Disney trip in 87, and another one in maybe... 97 or so but they were to disney they weren't to universal i was pushing universal because of marvel stuff but the whole family's not gonna go because kevin wants to go see marvel stuff like <laughs> it's just not happening but i wanted to go to it so bad uh i never got to go to wwf had a themed restaurant in times square called wwf new york i never made it there wcw had one called the nitro grill in las vegas never got to go there and this summer for my kid's birthday talking about theme restaurants i took him to the mr beast burger one at the american dream mall in new jersey and the whole honestly one of the points was i never got to go to one of these restaurants when i was a kid and now they're all gone i got a feeling this thing is not gonna be around forever let me take him there he will always have this memory in a way that i don't i mean i got to do lots of great stuff as a kid i never got to go to one of these theme restaurants so i wanted him to be able to have that memory of going i would have gone to one of these in a second i would have had so much fun i like i've been to a hard rock and planet hollywood but that's not quite the same it's the the theme is broader i guess it's all music it's all movies so it's not as streamlined as these themes are marvel adventure or whatever in california god i want to go that so bad (laughs) yeah it's pretty it's pretty good so I, i recently went to california adventure you know i went to the whole avengers campus experience which was okay but I did go to this restaurant. I did Ooh. go and have a meal at Marvel Media with all my high school buddies, and it was awesome. What they're doing now, it's okay, but it feels so generic. At the Avengers Campus, it's not exciting. It's not flashy. It's not in your face. It's just like, these are kind of like sets from the movie. What do you think? You know, and then here's your Pim, you know, restaurant, and there's things are big and small, but like, it doesn't feel comic booky. It feels movie brought to life i think it's your current aesthetics and i think when uh people are looking back at this time frame when our kids do when they're our age or whatever they're gonna see this as a very plain bland time i was out driving today and this uh storefront that's yellow was painting it gray i'm like why why would you paint it to look gray? there's a brand new where i live there's a brand new like billion dollar hospital that they're building and it's gray i'm like why was McDonald's more fun the way it is now, which is gray with like a splash of red and yellow, or when we were younger and there's just colors and brightness everywhere? Like that's when it was better and that's when it was a destination. So the stuff like you're mentioned there, make it more exciting, make it more interesting, make make me overwhelmed to see all this. No, it's comics, four color. It's like right there in like your dictionary description of it. Make it pop. Yeah, well, maybe these days, if they had polled, you know, some of the people that are planning to go to the parks, they'd get a reaction there. So why don't you close this out here? Finally, Wizard pulled their AOL subscribers. Kids, AOL was America Online. That's how we got <laughs> on the internet and we're younger. There's no kids listening. <laughs> <laughs> to ask if they liked the newly expanded JLA roster, which in addition to main eventers like Superman and Wonder Woman, now included Plastic Man, Steel, Zariel, Orion, Big Barda, Oracle, and Huntress. 69% of Wizard readers said no, leaving 31% saying yes. Adam, do you have 
any opinion on who should or should not be in the JLA. Here's how I feel. I, I don't necessarily like when like a new character immediately joins the JLA. Like to me, like I loved the Ray. Like that was like a big like 90s character for me, the revamp of the Ray for a new generation. But then he was kind of part of the JLA for a while. I was like, huh. Or like Aztec, you know, the ultimate man is just created by Grant Morrison. So he's like, well, I'm going to put him on the team for a little while. You know, and you're like, come on, that's not fair. This Zoriel guy, like why is this angel from heaven on JLA? You know, like, so I don't like that. I think it does have you have to have a history you have to have proven yourself as a hero and then you get called up to the big leagues i don't like the younger heroes in training on the jla i think it should be seasoned veterans and how do they work together or can they work together like what they're doing here right now it's kind of like you know like steel to me yeah he's proved himself that makes sense you know huntress oracle like that that kind of all makes sense but then when they you know mixed in other heroes that maybe like the you know the b team or the c team you know that i'm kind of like i don't know if you you need them so much but what about you it's a that's a actually really good point like you have to earn being in the jla i can't believe we like this was unplanned this was not in my notes or anything but we keep coming back to young justice there's an episode where the jla's up there in the watchtower and they're like okay if we're gonna have more members who's earned it earned it not just who just showed up not who do we want to keep an eye on like who has earned it who is going to be this elite level for it because comics and wrestling are just tied together for me nwo at first was elite and then it got watered down watered down watered down you're like this is a joke vincent what are you doing there than a lot of them <laughs> harris brothers yeah there's a whole lot of them like really you and it mattered less and less the more lower tier you have in there you water down the whole product you can have the great you can still have superman batman but if the rest of the team isn't that great so young justice teen titans like great ideas of like okay you prove yourself down here and then we see if you can be bumped up robin should absolutely be a member of justice league which robin pick one how about any other than jason todd i would be okay with even damien at this point has been around long enough he's proved himself your you son know? would vote for Damien, yes. Oh my god, he doesn't know what he wants to do for Halloween. Yeah, it's driving me insane. I'm like, we got limited time here if I'm making something. <laughs> but no, you absolutely should have to prove yourself to be in the JLA. Avengers drove me nuts with it. The George Prez one, which is on the cover of this one, all of a sudden like th- a new 3D man called Triathlon is just on the team. He shows up there like, you're cool, want to join the team? I'm like, he just showed up. Rage, who joins the Avengers until they find out he's like got a captain marvel deal going on and all of a sudden he's in new warriors much better fit new warriors though really great in that series so yeah you should have to earn avengers you should have to earn justice league you don't have to earn the other teams really x-men you can just show up (laughs) you can just be a mutant okay come on in yeah you can even be retcon to be mutant and just show up All right. Well, that does it for our wizard news. But man, we have some news for you about this issue because they were excited about what was going on. So we're going to check out our table of contents. Now, wizard number 81 with a May 1998 cover date featured two covers, both of which sported the slogan, bold new wizard, same great taste. (laughs) 
<laughs> now, more on that in a bit. But the first cover was a George Perez Avengers piece, like Kevin just mentioned, had Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America raising their fists to the sky in triumph. It's really a nice piece. But the second was a Jose Ladron cable cover. Now, the issue came packed with several extras, including a glow-in-the-dark darkness decal sticker. Ooh, look at that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It actually has like a little like texture to it because of the glow-in-the-dark feature. Okay, there was a The Coven poster by Ian Churchill, so from Awesome Entertainment, backed by a Brian Douglas Ahern calendar for May. Okay, there was also, a, this was interesting to me, there was a bonus Quantum and Woody poster that was just like a little comic like they would do, a little segment from their comic <laughs> just promoting them, so that was in there. Uh, there was also a catalog for anotheruniverse.com. Okay, so Another Universe dealt with all these exclusive figures and comics and all that kind of stuff. And then finally, it was all black for the most part, very classy looking, but it was this brochure for a game called Saga Frontier on the PlayStation, which was made by Squaresoft. I'm not a gamer, so I don't know if that one is loved or just kind of forgotten. Now, of course, Inside was a mail-away offer for a Generation X Wizard Half comic. This is kind of a weird period for Generation X where they had just gotten a new creative team. And so I guess they were trying to push that. And Wizard was just excited that Marvel was like willing to give them characters to make half issues for. But as hinted at before, this issue also marked big changes for the interior of the magazine. As Garib Seamus states, it is from the top letter of this issue, quote, For close to a year now, the Wizard team has been thinking and planning, targeting one issue to launch the brand spanking new Wizard, and this is it. We've taken some of the most popular features from Wizard's past and converted them into monthly columns and departments. Drawing board featuring fan-generated art began in Wizard number 28 and was discontinued in Wizard number 62. Well, you asked for it, and now it's back. Our whole Market Watch section now includes more top 10 lists. Why are we making these changes now? Wizard's strength has always been in its ability to adapt to the marketplace. Wizard will not just report on the industry, but set the tone. Now there's a mission statement right there. You'll continue to find things in Wizard you will find in no other publication. So 81, again, as soon as you open it, you're like, wow, this does look different. It feels different. There's a lot more charts. There's a lot more sidebars. There's a lot of stuff like that. But, you know, they're saying they're going to be the trendsetters, which they already were, but I think they were accepting it at this point and saying, we know we have influence. But what do you think, Kevin, when you think back on Wizard, what was the most unique feature that set it apart from any other comics news source, even maybe including today's online sources. It's not one feature. It's honestly why we're here. There's a place for them. There's a fandom for them. And I enjoy them as well. But there's not a Comics Buyer's Guide podcast. There's not a Comics Journal podcast. There's one episode of a Heroes Illustrated podcast. I don't know what happened to that one. They just did one episode and disappeared. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, those guys. So weird. Wizard, okay, because we had Kevin Smith earlier here. I realize how this sounds, but I'm making a larger point here. Kevin Smith was the first time I, I saw myself in someone. Here's a person who is becoming successful in Hollywood. He's fat, geek, socially awkward, weird, loves comics, you know, too much pop culture knowledge. I'm like, holy poop, that's me. That is me. I finally have someone. I'm not going to be an athlete. I'm not going to be a beautiful person, but I can be Kevin Smith. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and 
reading wizard okay comics journal is great for certain things and i have a few in my collection comics by like i love the comics magazines and the facts and news alter ego you know there's lots of great comic magazines but no one spoke to us and wizard spoke to us and that's why we're still here is there stuff that doesn't age well yeah is there stuff that you and i did in our teens and 20s that doesn't age well too yeah (laughs) that's just growing as an adult and a person but this was the first time it was like listen comics are fun this is a great world come along for the ride let's all just have a blast together and no one else was doing that but wizard at the time so you could revamp as much as you want you know what though i could still read it you and i both got glasses i don't know when you got yours but i was not wearing them every day when wizard first came out i can still read this though this is just beautiful text and font and everything some of the early issues of wizard because i've been on an episode or two of here some of them are bad like black text on the dark green background i'm like what were you thinking yeah super muddy yeah it was that good yeah clean neat exciting i'm flipping through i'm like well this is interesting even stuff like i'm just picking a random page here we got like little notes like little things going on and then we got an ad i might have skipped that ad otherwise but i'm reading this now i keep seeing the ad like that's good hype for stuff it is a very well put together magazine at this point they've learned a lot and gotten smarter and smarter but we're not at the wizard as a maxim magazine era of the magazine right this is like the apex of what they should have been like this absolutely yeah that's a great word i absolutely think like this is peak wizard like we we've gotten all the bugs and kinks out we found out what works the magazine looks great we can do stuff that's respectful we can get all these interviews and articles and everything and we can still have a lot of fun and we can just sell comics because yes as much as Wizard doesn't want to admit it, as much as you and I have gone back and forth on the show and privately about, because I absolutely think companies were giving Wizard money on the sly. I absolutely do. No matter, I've listened to every episode and every Wizard Files, and I still think it's true. Despite <laughs> what everyone has said, I still think people are getting payola. But whether or not, they're still showing all the great stuff that comics were at the time. I wish we had something like this now. Well, comics are wonderful and beautiful still to this day. And we don't have something like this, even some of the websites. And I, you might know things too, but I know things that I can't say. And some of the websites are trash. And there's a reason why nothing is holding up like Wizard does. It goes back to what you said is that they knew how to be fans. They didn't take it seriously. They didn't try to make comics be more literature than they are. Like you said, that comics are fun. The other sources were like, no, we're legitimizing it. We, we need to prove to the world that it is something that matters. And they took it so seriously. But the other thing that I think Wizard had that really nobody else did was original art so much original art they just whether it was the covers or the interiors of this issue we're about to talk about one like they were just able to get all of the you know artists that were trying to get you know noticed they knew where to go and uh, lanel francis you recently when we posted his cover he said wizard was paying top dollar at that time so like they weren't like cheaping out on anybody they're like hey we know what you're worth let's get your work in our magazine and i think there's so many things you're only ever going to see in wizard they weren't part of comics they weren't just reprinting panels this was original to wizard and that makes the magazines collectible in a lot of ways if you're a fan of that artist now adam you know tangent for a second you mentioned no kids listen to this <laughs> so let's just from what Lionel francis you said there about wizard paying top dollar people if you're listening be sure to be paid what you're worth i finally feel like i'm being paid what i'm worth Finally in life, I listened to Kevin Smith, there's that name again, interview with Arlene Sorkin because she recently died, and she did not ask for a pay raise 
for voicing Harley Quinn for over 10 years as it got more and more popular because she's just like, no, I don't want to bother anyone. No, you're worth money. You're worth something. Get paid what you're worth. Writer, artist, creator, podcaster, whatever. Yeah, what you're worth. absolutely. So speaking of original art for Wizard, though, Kevin, take us into this next piece, because this is a, a very fun piece of business. It was very fun. Very interesting. Every time we do one of these, I you know, haven't told you this before, but I read along for like the next few issues as long as I got time because I get so excited. I want to go through them all before <laughs> your next episode is up. OK, speaking of new features, this issue opens with the first ever last man standing showdown, pitting two characters you would never seen a crossover against each other. The inaugural battle was between what Wizard refers to as, quote, Savage Hulk and the Kryptonian killer himself, Doomsday. The dynamic face-off was rendered by fan favorite Art Adams. In the Tale of the Tape box, we learned that Hulk has the weight advantage, while Doomsday has the height advantage of a foot and a half. But what ultimately hands the Superman Slayer the victory are his poisonous bone claws, which Wizard points out most fans probably didn't even realize were a thing. I do remember that from Superman 75. I do remember those. In this current entertainment landscape of multiverses, Adam, can you think of a pop culture or comics crossover battle that you would like to see? This is outside of the realm of comics, although one of these was created by Michael Uslan, who has written comics, is the executive producer of all Batman everything. And that is, I would love to have seen back in the day as a kid, Dino Saucers, which was a show I loved. Dino Saucers, but Denver, the last dinosaur joining forces with the dinosaurs that would have been awesome to me maybe not a battle necessarily but he would team up somehow i, I that would be fun <laughs> oh yeah you could have you could have denver and the kids just like take a wrong path and there's a dinosaurs battle and they're like all right well we got dinosaur too so we're kind of stuck here i guess that's true so i was thinking currently like what could currently come out that we haven't done yet and i am shocked that with all the Disney buyouts and everything, we have not had Star Wars crossover with Marvel yet. Now, the new editor-in-chief of Marvel, and I can't remember his name right now. Is it Cebulski? Oh, yeah, C.B. Cebulski, yeah. Yes, okay. He posted something, like, I think it was like two years ago now, saying, hey, we uh, we should sell a million copies of an issue again. Something coming, and then nothing came of that. So who knows? Because uh, everyone's like, it's probably going to be Star Wars Marvel. If you want to sell a million copies plus of something right now, that's what you got. Now, I don't think you could do an all-out, like, go nuts Star Wars versus Marvel. I think Star Wars especially just, Spider-Man can't just show up in Star Wars. Like, it just doesn't, Punisher just doesn't work. But I think certain characters could work. I think doing something like Wormhole, you know, like something crazy like that, you could have a character show up randomly and be like, ooh, this is interesting. Now, if I'm just sticking in comics, I think Dr. Afra randomly showing up in Marvel would really work. Who? You don't know Dr. Afra? No. <laughs> okay. Okay, picture an evil Indiana Jones going through the Star Wars universe, about to rob Darth Vader, and he's like, I could kill you, but instead you're going to work for me, and you're going to get all the stuff I want. And she has all these adventures throughout the Star Wars universe coming into contact with everyone. The uh, black furred Chewbacca that was in... The Mandalorian? Mandalorian, that's her... the book of Boba Fett? Which one was it? Or whichever, but that's her assistant. So everyone's waiting for her to show up on one of the shows. That's awesome. That's that, her assistant. I, I mean, the, the easy answer is just Guardians of the Galaxy, right? It's like, well, oh, they beat up. Well, because yeah. I had that down too. I think Star-Lord randomly showing up in Star Wars, like he just appears on one of the ships. Is like, okay, what do I got to do? And hooking up with some random like Twi'lek or something in Star I Wars mean, universe would be fantastic. My pick is for Darkhawk, you know, because he's one of the... Ooh, co- like, 
you showed up. What if he was like Darkhawk, but he was like a bounty hunter? Because there was there was like Ooh. an e- I don't know if evil's the right word, but there was kind of a roguish Darkhawk in the comics initially. Yeah, portal. And so like I just think it'd be funny if like that guy was mixed in. Like I don't know. There's a lot of fun stuff you could do. So yeah, Ooh. hey. Now <laughs> there was a series in Mar or in Marvel's version of Star Wars called Vader Down where Vader's ship crashes and the entire rebellion's like, we got him. And the entire rebellion's like, we're going to take him out. He's all by himself on this planet. He has no help. What can he do? And Vader just takes out everyone. It's amazing. So much fun. But it would be interesting if that ship crashed in Latveria. We got Vader versus Doom. Yeah. I think Vader versus Doom, no one else. Just Vader versus Doom would be awesome. That's very... I think you could pull that off without going really crazy with them <laughs> all right we, we can go on this topic all day but we gotta, <laughs> we gotta move on because that all excites me but our first cover story here cutting the cord is an exploration into the current era of cable stories being written by newcomer joe casey with an art assist by jose ladron says casey about the convoluted nature of the character quote cable since his inception has kind of been behind the eight ball about what he's supposed to be it's been an endless series of writers trying to fix him ladron adds quote comic books sometimes forget characters need to have a life away from the adventure if we put life in our stories not just fight 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 we can have richness i think cable needs to find something he's missing he needs to recover his whole life to do this the pair state that they are going to keep nathan summers at a distance from the rest of the x universe because as casey explains quote what we want to do is make this a book people will buy not because they're completists and they want to get all of their mutant books but because the book is good and there's quality stuff going on as for where cable will be doing his own thing casey reveals that quote he picks hell's kitchen because in marvel new york it's a horrible place he feels at home there which i think is hilarious uh he's used to this terrible future it's also stated that through ladron's new designs quote cable will shed as much weight from his garb as casey will from the character's convoluted history the hero is the last holdout from the shoulder pad era and if that's just not dumping on rob liefeld 100 this whole thing it's like since the beginning he's been a mess the guy who created him gave us a character that's a mess but a popular mess so anyway closing out here as for who cable will be facing off against in his battle for for justice it's reported that he'll be taking down quote a number of second string marvel villains like speed demon hydro man and stilt man which doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence but the interview assures the fans that cable will still be fighting for a better future quote he's finally going to be able to experience some basic humanity stuff that he's been denied for a long time but his mission is still going to be foremost on his mind so kevin has the cable character ever appealed to you or was it hard to shake off this over-armored tough guy with gigantic gun stigma of his early days which was popular for a moment but as they're saying here it kind of run out of steam by the end of the 90s um this was not the answer I, I i get it you're hyping it up and everything new story former popular character i get it this is not the answer rob is a great idea person come up with ideas let someone else flesh them out including cable deadpool didn't get going until like you know joe kelly and stuff and all like so we get it now for cable the best version of cable i've seen is the very stripped down version in deadpool 2 which is like 20 years after this article we're already talking about stripping them down to base six in here and then 20 years later we finally get one so then we got 20 more years of continuity and mess of who he is before we get what i finally thought was a good version and i think where cable can work as a timeless yet unique character is he's the soldier that came back from war to find out there's no more war what do you do this is you've been your whole life you were at war and now there 
isn't a war. That's a timeless story. We can do that with Rambo. We can do that with anything. Uh, Ronin in Japan. Like we can do the warrior without the war. Now what do you do? But he's out of time as well. So what do you, like the war that you were to fight hasn't even happened yet, really. So what, what do you do? What is your point? What is your mission? And I think that is a fascinating character. Even we got some Vin Deadpool too. I especially like, why has he got big giant guns? Oh, because he can see all these pieces and make something that works for this battle. I'm like, that's fantastic. That's actually doing explaining the big stupid giant gun 90s style thing. But I think Cable as time traveling Rambo pretty much, original First Blood, not, you know, cartoon and all the other stuff. I think that's a great version of the character. And it took forever to finally get there for it yeah like uh, to me like i look at it i'm like okay it's kyle reese and clint eastwood dirty harry in one character and that's basically what it is you know again classic rob mashup i'll just take these things i like put them together but then like yeah it, it just feels like he always knew everything or he seemed to indicate he knew everything and so to me that's not interesting you know it's like oh you should be listening to me because i got it all figured out it's like well if you already know the end of the story you know so, oh, i'm trying to change the end of the story okay okay but like i i know michael is a huge fan of the cable like where he has like the baby he's got to care for you oh, know that's a great yeah. version yes and so that was that. how long after this article it took forever yeah like you said for people to crack the code so uh never did it for me i look forward to you know checking out those stories when we get there you know in the timeline towards the end of the magazine but i have read these issues though this ladron and casey run and they're interesting but not great like mostly for for me in this case it is the art because i loved jose ladron's art so much it's it's very interesting to look at but it is mostly just action it seemed like they were telling us oh it's gonna be this like personal character study but i didn't find that to be the case at all as, as i read it but maybe i was just missing out there's like this reporter i can't remember she, she's some like journalist or something that is like kind of researching cable and so it's kind of told from her perspective and he just kind of comes into the story to rescue her at different points or she runs into him when he's in various you know battles so yeah I, I don't know they quite got it that being said joe casey is going to be on in the future and we'll ask him if that was editorial interference or what what the story was there hey geeks it's time to take a break from this episode to tell you about our sponsor halloweencostumes.com and the great selection of comic book costumes available plus we're going to tell you how you can get 15 percent off your entire order by using the link in our show notes i was browsing their site today and i found their 90s jim lee x-men costumes for rogue cyclops wolverine even dark phoenix and the less evil green look for jean gray phoenix uh, if you're more of a garth ennis fan they've got homelander and starlight from the boys or multiple versions of the punisher how about taking a jump into the spider verse as miles morales spider gwen agent venom or spider rex it's true kids or adults can be a radioactive spider dinosaur this year on the dc side there's classic batman in the light blue and gray or the complete lineup of teen titans shazam an amazing yvonne craig batgirl 66 costume and so much more plus they've got all the accessories you need to make your costume as authentic as you desire of course all the other areas of pop culture from movies to classic tv and cartoons are all represented at halloweencostumes.com so just take a look at our show notes for this episode and follow the link today to get 15 percent off your entire order between now and october 31st happy haunting geeks <laughs> 
Kevin, take us into our next piece because uh, you are the man of the hour for this one. All right. Our next cover story, Avengers Classified, is a photo piece. Very interesting. Like uh, for the new stuff, this was very interesting. Featuring a mock-up of the desk in the Oval Office where President Clinton president at the time of this magazine was reviewing secret files of earth's mightiest heroes complete with a framed picture of bill and hillary in the background and chelsea featured documents include hank mccoy's birth certificate steve rogers dog tags and avengers identicard a rejection letter from king t'challa after being offered a place on the team and an issue of the national inquirer not inquire inquire with headlines like avengers tiger poses nude and spider-man really elvis's space alien love child <laughs> now as revealed on previous episodes this is where we place the little star in the asterisks and see previous ones from the editor here i was the avengers person grown up uh, i didn't do x-men i mean i did it later but like i didn't do x-men i didn't do anything i loved avengers west coast avengers solo all of that stuff so i was deep diving on this and I also love this George Perez run of Here's Return. Very cool stuff. Now, there are very interesting things in here. One, just Hank McCoy in general being part of this is surprising because he was an X-Men for so long. X-Men split. He's in Avengers for a little while. Him and Wonder Man are great, like almost Blue Beetle Booster Gold type team up thing that really should. Well, not the current version of Beast from my understanding. But this version of Beast, like, I would love to revisit that. But the birth certificate shows his feet, which are human feet, because Beast didn't turn out blue and furry and animal-like until much later on. And it's not part of his original mutation either. Although it is kind of funny because they go a little bit outside the space for the feet. Like, they're a little bit bigger. Like, he was already a big boy. Yeah, He wasn't a mutant big boy, but he was already a big boy. (laughs) He was already probably cesarean delivery. (laughs) We'll just guess who that. (laughs) So there's different letters from S.H.I.E.L.D. within there. One is by Dum Dum Duggan is in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. at one point during all this. S.H.I.E.L.D. stands for two different things in the letters because they've changed the meaning, the acronym of S.H.I.E.L.D. over the years for Marvel. So that was kind of funny that on the same desk in the same pamphlet, S.H.I.E.L.D. has two different meanings. I was like, okay, that's cute. There's even stuff going back to previous versions. Like, there's a letter, an old letter from uh, Steve Rogers, Cap, of I'm recommending Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver for the team. I know they're villains, but they have potential in them. I'm like, oh my god, we're going that far back, you know, with it. Like, okay, Steve Rogers' word means something here. But then we're still having doubt over Hawkeye. I prefer showing Hawkeye as a hothead, kind of butting heads with Steve, with Captain America. We have the same goal, but we don't have the same means to get to that goal. I very much enjoy them, and especially as opposing team leaders. But we had a story where it looked like Hawkeye killed Egghead, so Hawkeye's a murderer, the Avengers don't kill, except when they do. But, you know, are you a villain again? And that one decision that is still having ripples years later of, well, can we trust you? Should you be on the team? Um, Black Panther saying, hey, I politely declined this. I got my own stuff to do, which goes back to Marvel Knights, probably. Like, we know we need him for this, so we're keeping him free. Very interesting stuff in there. Now, at first I saw the Tiger thing, and I thought it was an inside joke for, they did an issue where... She-Hulk is sunbathing, topless, and someone right. takes a picture of it. Yeah, but then when it's published, it's published in, like, peach flesh-colored, not green. So no yes, you don't know it's her, yeah. Which, looking back, is still kind of dumb. Like, you would just, it's still her, you would correct that. But that's, <laughs> maybe that's current internet. But no, because I'm forgetting all the stuff about Tigra, which is still touched on to this day. She started out as the cat, which is Hellcat's uniform, but just the cat. And then she gets mutated into Tigra. And she turns human again, but there's other mutations. She becomes a tiny little kitty that is going around the West Coast compound. They're all like, we'll fix you later. We're busy right now. <laughs> so Tiger becomes overly 
sexual, which a lot of cat-based characters do, and that's a whole other discussion. But that that happens all the time with all the cat woman, black cat, like all these cat-based characters have that. But Tiger becomes overly sexual and flirtatious with pretty much everyone, but it's because she is considered weak and forgotten so often in her history. So like the West Coast Avengers, since when John Burns writing and drawing it, they're like, oh, we're busy. Tiger's been shrunk down to like house cat size and she's running around the compound, but we're busy doing other stuff. So even though our teammate, our friend is this big and needs help, we'll figure it out later. Like that's got to hurt. There's many stories where a villain's like, oh, I've taken out the Avengers. Well, except for Tiger, but she doesn't matter. And then she's the one that like, oh, because I'm not mind controlled. I'm not locked up. I'm not whatever. I'm the only one that can save the day. But it's her being forgotten and mistreated and just like demeaned in a way over and over again. So you could see where her becoming overly flirtatious and overly sexual and like, look at me, look at me, notice me would really make sense. That's and fascinating. I think it's, yeah. Yeah. Stuff we didn't pick up on at the time, but I think it's one of the more adult themes in the Avengers that I never realized at the time. But now I'm like, oh yeah, that is totally there. And as a personality trait, it really makes sense too. Even for a hero. Yeah. Well, so we're going to post these to social media. So what you all see out there is you pick through it too. Maybe you'll, you'll spot some Easter eggs, but man, yeah, they had just done something like this for Sin City as well. And it's almost like identical in layout, but, but it's a super fun concept that will come back many more times in the future. But let's move on here. Uh, just real quick, there is a piece called The Killing Game that is an interview with the creative team behind the outrageously violent Hitman, which is Garth Ennis and John McCrea, a comic which Wizard describes the monthly tales of superpowered assassin for hire Tommy Monahan. Wizard describes it using like the best 90s comparison. They say it's John Woo meets Quentin Tarantino. So regarding the outrageous content of their book, though, Ennis declares, quote, it's always a question of taste. We only throw in the baby seals being battered to death with a baseball bat when it's the most tasteful moment. The book is more about Tommy and his friends than the crazy event of the month. Only Garth Ennis could get away with just casually tossing off a baby seals being beaten. I'm gonna club this seal to get a better deal. Anybody? UHF? So, that being said, at the bottom of the article, Wizard counts down the top 10 most outrageous Hitman moments, which includes the Hitman puking on Batman's shoes in the first issue, about which the artist recalls, quote, the famous puke scene originally had Batboy standing with a pile of puke dripping off his chest, carrots and all. But we were being disrespectful, so it had to go. And his comments on the censorship applied to the pair's wild ideas, quote, Censorship's a funny thing. A word where they were happy with a year ago will suddenly become unacceptable by someone in management. Now, it's mentioned that Lobo will be showing up to hassle the hitman in an upcoming story, but one character who will not be disrespected during a planned guest appearance is the man of steel himself as edis reveals quote we won't be doing anything unpleasant to superman (laughs) it's the 60th anniversary after all but kevin where do you fall on shock value in your comics like do you want to be grossed out are you okay with that like like there's a a plot twist is one thing but gross out is another it's garth ennis let's just say that okay We're, we're starting with it being garth ennis the boys i read all of it read all of it i have issues i have serious issues with some of it 
But Garth Ennis is very popular, and I do not share some of those opinions because I don't want to upset certain people. I have serious issues with it. Did read it all. I appreciate the story overall, but I got a lot I hated. Preacher, enjoyed the hell out of. I loved Preacher. I would read Preacher again in a second. I saw an Absolute Edition um, for sale today, and I was very tempted, but it was volume three, and I'm like, if I don't have the rest, I'm not buying this. Loved Preacher. Loved Walking Dead. I know it's not Garth Ennis, but that is a comic that did a lot of things based on shock value. Now, overall, I think where my line is, is how good is the character development? If it's shock for the, just to shock, I do not care. And it does nothing for me. And sometimes it ruins the comic, the movie, the whatever. One of my friends wants me to watch terrible, disgusting horror movies with him because he wants my reaction. I'm like, no, I'm not watching that. I watch stuff to be entertained, not to be disgusted. I read my comics to be entertained, not to be disgusted. I never read Cross because Cross just seems like, let's just be gross to be gross. But if there's character development, like people, oh, Walking Dead's so boring, nothing happened. You need character development so when people die, you care about it. Preacher had better character development than boys, so I cared about it. If anyone wants to ask DM me, and I'll explain my major issue with the boys. The overall point is, if you build up the characters well enough, then I can be okay with the shock value because it means something. Is Hitman puking on Batman gross? Yeah. Is it funny, though, because we got decades of Batman and this is a funny scene? Yes. There's certain things that work because we've built up to it, but some things are just gross to be gross or shocking to be shocking, and they end up not meaning anything. So now you've wasted the shock. Yeah, that that's for me, like, I feel like maybe Garth Ennis hits it more than Mark Miller, who's another one for me that goes for that. He goes for the shocks, but I always feel like sometimes he's like, well, it's my reputation now, so I'm just doing it, or I think this is hilarious, just let me do my thing, and it just, it, it doesn't pan out most of the time for me. So yeah, so I, I would agree, like, I, do, I don't need gross out stuff, I don't need excessive violence, but if you could do something creative, like, there was the Marvel max series for terror incorporated mm-hmm. and i love the concept of terror incorporated but it's gross he's taking people's limbs and body parts from them and then attaching them to his own body that's gross in concept but clever and interesting in execution mm-hmm. so again like you're saying like you need character development but also if it's a if there's a good twist to it then then i'm on board with it but again if you just think like oh the grossest comic ever made i'm just like i i don't need that or you know the most you know non acceptable in polite company comic ever made you know whatever even if it's just like dialogue i'm just like you don't need to put that in there like unless it really really helps the story along on some level so yeah so i shock value comics i think that's just a, a crutch for the most part people feel like they have to do things that extreme shock value anything exorcist has shocking scenes but it's a good movie yeah kevin take us into this next one because i i got some things to share at the end of this Ooh, all right very interesting On the Brink is an interview with veteran artist Alan Davis, who at this time had just completed work on Justice League The Nail. After a brief run on the Heroes Return Fantastic Four with Scott Lobdell at Marvel, but was an artist with a decent body of work to look back on, Davis's high-profile work began on Captain Britain for Marvel UK and the gritty Marvel Man stories with Alan Moore, which got him hired to do Batman and the Outsiders by DC Comics editor Dick Giordano, though the artist admits he originally wanted to draw a different hero. Quote, they offered me the 1986 Aquaman miniseries, but when Giordano saw my first issue, he called me up and said it was great stuff and he didn't want me doing it for Aquaman. I told them Aquaman was one of my favorite characters and I really wanted to do it, so they told me I could do both but they warned me to do Batman first. 
So I gave up Aquaman and then they gave it away to Craig Hamilton, end quote. Eventually, Davis quit the Batman The Outsiders because his final art was being changed before publication. This story seems to come up a lot. Yeah. Meanwhile, he explains, quote, Chris Claremont was calling me more than DC was, end quote. And as a result, he and Claremont launched the X-Men spinoff Excalibur at Marvel, which Davis eventually returned to write and draw after Claremont had moved on from the title in 1991. The artist then got to create a totally original book called Clan Destine through Marvel UK, which he states was poorly promoted on both sides of the pond. Quote, I thought clandestine was really different, the best I could do, and I cared about it. I hoped it would get a good response, but there's no point if no one's going to know about it, end quote. After several years of scattered books being published and many projects falling through in the mid-90s, Davis had just finished JLA The Nail for DC. This was a project which he had originally begun working on in 1993 as a Justice League of America Elseworld story, a book which had been sidelined because at that point Justice League of America was selling poorly. Five years later, the story exploring, quote, what would have happened to the DC universe if Superman had never been created and the formation of a Justice League in that reality was finally being published. So Adam, my question is, but sounds like you got a tangent here. Do you have a favorite Alan Davis project? Well, so that's the thing. Like Alan Davis is an artist that I know the name, but I feel like I could never point to something I knew him from, except that the first comic I ever bought was an Excalibur comic that was his oh, really? art. So it was his art that got me to want to buy a comic for the first time, seeing it on a spinner rack at 7-Eleven. So there's Alan Davis right there for me at the beginning. But also, like, you know, I didn't read a lot of the projects he's talking about here. And then this Justice League The Nail was promoted in a previous issue. And I looked at it, I'm kind of like, ah, I don't know, this doesn't sound like it's for me. And then I read it this week. And wow. Really? What a story. So again, I talk about DC 1 million, where you're taking all the DC characters and you're kind of putting your spin on it. And it's kind of supposed to be a celebration of comics history in a fun way. And like I said, I didn't think Morrison achieved that. But Alan Davis, what an amazing writer. Like, forget, like the art is brilliant. The storytelling, like everything, the pacing, the characterizations. The Nail is just like a classic story, even though it's like Elseworlds. It's a, a slightly altered reality. Things are a little bit different. It almost felt like the best of John Byrne, because that's what, what I feel like John Byrne, he loves comics history and he loves adding his little tweak to say, oh, but this probably makes more sense if you think about this connecting to this and things like that. And that's what The Nail was for me. So like, if I had to pick one right this moment, it's like... Alan Davis, the nail is just, and I, I hear there was a sequel. So now I got to check that out. Like this is like fast becoming just a favorite of DC stories in general. But, but I'm curious, what do you know him from? I remember the nail coming out and being very hyped and I just never got around to it. Same with clandestine. I was like, oh, what a great uh, original idea. And then I think by the time I was like, okay, I got extra money. I'll go and buy it. It was already canceled. I'm like, well, screw it then you know i'm out kind of want to go back but really i don't think granted i finally read them but like x-men's just and especially today even worse today x-men's so daunting x-men's like when when people that don't read comics come to me and they're like i don't even know where to start for comics i feel that way for x-men still like it's just so challenging like where do i start what's going on there's so much to remember but excalibur was just like let's just have fun and some of his covers i have never forgotten they're just so silly, so goofy, so fun, but everyone, they look strong or powerful or pretty or whatever they're supposed to be. 
and silly too. And that's such a fine line. When you see someone that's a really good comedic actor, or even comedy wrestling does it too, you don't realize how good you have to be at it seriously to then be able to do it silly. So he has to be brilliant to be serious for all these roles to then do a silly comic like Excalibur. And especially like, how do you show slapstick in a way in comic form and just stagnant panels? But he does. Like that book is so funny and so brilliant. And I mean, yes, the writing is part, even before he was writer and artist, when he was just artist for it. Yes, the writing's a big part of that too. But for him to be able to show jokes on a page like that is brilliant. And I don't think Excalibur gets the credit it deserves. Yeah, he could go from cool to cartoony, like, and you love both parts. Like, it, it doesn't doesn't take you out of the story. You're just like, oh, here's a funny moment. Oh, okay, but now everybody looks awesome. I actually even got the first issue of Excalibur. My friend gave me his brother's comic book collection because he's like, he gave it to me. I don't, I'm not a huge comic book guy. You want these? I'm like, yes. <laughs> I started digging through. I was like, oh, this is just a beautiful cover, that first one. But yeah, so Alan Davis deserves to be celebrated. I know he's making the rounds this year at conventions and stuff so this is the time to get a hold of him but uh somebody else who's always around is adam kubert and uh, we've kind of had some fun in the past saying the kuberts are kind of boring just because they were always there you take them for granted it's like is anybody really a kubert fan I, there are i'm sure everybody appreciates what they do but the wizard q a with adam kubert shed some light on the artist's recent work revitalizing the hulk and his love of white castle hamburgers it's true We've heard a million interviews. Rather than get into his artistic thoughts on drawing the Hulk in very wizard fashion, we are just going to read the transcript of the interview as it relates to White Castle. This is the location where the conversation took place. It was that essential to his life. So Kevin is going to play the part of the interviewer, Jim McLaughlin. And appropriately enough, I will read the responses from Adam Kubert and the description also of the characters who wander in and out of the restaurant, because that's a whole other element to this. You don't need to know what he thought about drawing we were just talking about the universal studios uh, orlando marvel islands of adventure he did all the art for that like that's mentioned here but that's not what we're talking about i want to make it clear that there was an eating competition going on between all the people in attendance during the interview so literally you hear like oh he's stuffing this in his face and whatever and but jimmy palmiotti was there for no reason he makes no commentary they just tell you at the end jimmy palmiotti and andy kubert were also there and the loser of the competition had to pay the final bill so we will have the results for you at the end of this performance but let's begin so adam kubert starts out i grew up on white castles my dad Dad grew up on White Castles. It's a snack like no other. I even served them at my wedding reception, which a lot of people thought was strange, but I didn't care. As a reminder, I'm playing Jim McLaughlin. Adam, of all places on earth where we could interview comic artists, why are we at White Castle? White Castle enhances the artist's creativity. You have a couple of these burgers, and you want to just go draw your ass off. What's your typical castle menu? Do you stick to burgers or go for cheese sticks? I usually get five cheeseburgers and one fish sandwich loaded with hot sauce. It's delicious. I get an order of fries and usually a Coke. Once I go through those, I usually get some to bring home and have later. Ever try the fried clams? Nah, I'm more of a traditionalist. So what's the allure of the castle? The allure of the castle for me is in the flavor of the people that come here. If you need background people in your story, come to White Castle at two in the morning. So at this point, then, some crazy-looking guy who's been milling around outside in the parking lot walks up to a side window and raps on it loudly with his umbrella. 
Activity within the restaurant stops as we all stare at the umbrella guy. He stares back and having provoked no further reaction, raps on the window again. We all continue to gaze at him. A sudden look of satisfaction crosses his face and he turns on his heel and leaves. See, now that's what I'm talking about. You want real life background characters? You get them here. Let's see Burger King do that. I think Umbrella Man's going to appear in a future issue of Hulk. <laughs> Then an old lady wearing ha a handmade crocheted hat, navy blue in color, slowly shuffles by. She's carrying her tray, which has only one burger and a cup of coffee on it. Oh, what's going on here? She asks, looking at all the lights the photographer has set up. Uh, we're doing an interview. I'm a comic artist. It's for a comic book magazine. Can I watch? The old woman asks. Sure. So the old lady settles onto a stool at the counter near our booth and slowly sips her coffee. For the rest of the interview, she is transfixed, sitting on the edge of her seat and hanging on Adam's every word. I understand you were on the TV game show What's My Line? How'd you wind up there? Well, I was the youngest professional comic letterer, so I was on the show and the contestants had to guess who the letterer was. I still remember exactly what I won. It was a ton of useless stuff. Some Sarah Coventry jewelry, a green and purple polka dot dress that my mom never wore, and $50 cash. That's it. The $50 could buy a lot of white castles. Yeah, it did buy a lot of white castles. Now, the blue hat lady gets up and walks over to Adam. She puts her hand on his shoulder and says, in a kind of motherly way, You're such a nice, well-spoken young man. You give a really good interview. I'm sure you'll go far in your field. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed the show. She smiles and saunters off. See? These kind of people don't come to McDonald's. Then Adam wanders up to the counter and asks the employees at the register, Hey, do you sell them frozen here? The man behind the counter indicates that they do. Great. Give me a dozen. My dad wants me to bring some home. And for the curious, the final tally of the Great Castle Eat-Off was Jim McLaughlin with nine sliders, Adam Kubert with eight, Jimmy Palmiotti seven, and the loser who had to foot the bill, Andy Kubert, who ate a measly five burgers. <laughs> I will mention, in a previous report about the Chicago Comic-Con in 97, they said that a fan actually brought a whole cooler to Adam Kubert of White Castle hamburgers oh. because they knew of his love and they brought them. And then Brian Cunningham, when I sent him the scan of this issue, because he's been trying to build up his archives, he's like, oh, we actually had Adam sign a White Castle carton and we kept it around the office for years. Like this was just Adam Kubert and White Castle was just something they always thought about, which is hilarious to me. So now here's the thing, Kevin, that last piece, it felt like an indie comedy film of the early 90s, you know, just kind of nonsense in a suburban setting so we're gonna check out the comic book movie news by saying farewell to the trailer park title and welcoming the newly christened coming attractions department in a segment we like to call heroes in motion Right. Costume Party is a short piece about DC Comics appearing as part of primetime sitcoms. For example, Tia Leone's forgotten sitcom, The Naked Truth, featured the actress dressed as Wonder Woman. And The Drew Carey Show had an episode where its star won a Batmobile in a fast food restaurant giveaway contest. Now, Adam, I have my own, but can you think of a time when uh, comics were featured in TV or movies that got you excited as a fan? Yes. So this actually just happened recently. I mean, there's many times throughout my life, but just this last 
two weeks. You guys have been listening. You know, I collect VHS tapes. I got a very large library and I found two tapes recently and they happen to have a connection to comics, the same comic that were taking place in the 80s. And I'm like, what was it about this character? So the first one was this movie from the early 80s called Breathless starring Richard Gere. It was a remake of an Italian film. He's kind of this like guy who's just thinks he's great, but he's not. He's kind of a, a grifter type of guy, but he loves Silver Surfer comics. And the movie basically opens with him reading Silver Surfer comics. They're showing panels. It's on the like box for the movie. And you see a Silver Surfer picture. Like it's a big part of the story, right? And then I'm watching this other movie, How I Got Into College. In that movie, while they're talking to him, like his parents are like, well, what, what do you have to offer a college? What, that you have a full run of Silver Surfer comics? And then later on, you see Silver Surfer comics in his room and he's trying to put this video together for his entrance letter or whatever. So I was just like, this Silver Surfer thing was all over these movies. And I was so excited to see it. I uh, did not realize movies breathless, but my uncle, like he will quote that whole Silver Surfer scene randomly. It was Christmas and I was given, I feel like for a lot of Christmases in a row, I was given the uh, Overstreet Price Guide as a gift. Because for my family, we do Christmas at home, me, my brother, my mom. Then we'd go down to my grandparents' house and do the family Christmas, uncles, aunts, cousins, all of that later on in the day but i would be like okay well i'm gonna sit here while everyone's opening presents like yes i had my own but there's gonna be like a lot of downtime so i'd bring my new overstreet guide down and flip through it and it always got passed around my uncles want to see like everyone wants to see one year there's a silver surfer thing and my uncle starts quoting that whole scene from breathless i've totally forgotten about that that is wild yeah <laughs> now what about for you yes well again like uh loving comics not feeling like you know there's anything for us out there I remember flipping through one day on syndication and there's this random show called My Secret Identity. And one of the, uh, not only is it Jerry O'Connell as a teenage superhero and it's kind of fun and silly, but in his bedroom, just clicking with us here, looking at you, looking at me, is all of these comics on the wall. And they, they rotated them too. So I would like, eventually I started recording the episode so I could pause it on VCR pre, you know, everything else. So I could be like, okay, what's on his wall? Like I wanted to see all the comics that were on there. And I mean, you know, we got like the TV, you know, however long it takes to write, produce, edit, air in syndication. I don't know if I'm seeing it the first airing anyways. Like these comics are a year old at that point, but it's new to me as a young comic reader and i'm just like oh that looks cool that looks cool i gotta find that one where's that one from so i'll tell you kevin actually years ago i wrote an article for retro days very fun pop culture retro website and i literally did do the screenshots like i oh, did really the comics that were in his room so i'll post that on our social media for people who want to see that but same thing for me it just caught me it, it got me so excited i love that show yeah i love it i i watch sliders just because jerry o'connell 100 yep me too me too all right now getting back to silver surfer though it's reported that the silver surfer animated series scored big ratings during its primetime debut and wizard goes inside the recording booth with the voice actor for Norrin rad paul Esimbre. it's mentioned that he often Often has to record his vocal performance alone, which is not a problem because, quote, he's such a solitary, lost, alone person. So to be in the studio, it's good to be alone as the surfer. Depending on the mood, we can get really artsy-fartsy. We sort of dim the lights, get the atmosphere right, and start to fantasize. Okay, this is space. We're floating in space. <laughs> yeah. Can you feel it, people? One thing I want to say real quick is I think the Silver Surfer just really appeals to artistic people because I have a photo that I found recently of Christmas morning. 
but my mom bought me two prints of like really nice like Marvel Comics poster art and one was a Captain America piece and the other was Silver Surfer I cared about neither of those characters she didn't understand what I liked but she's an artist and so to her she's like these are amazing pieces you should have this you know and so there's a picture of me holding Silver Surfer and I'm like yeah he's cool you know but anyway I just thought that was interesting because the, the character does really have a big pop culture footprint there's just something so I don't know like it just appeals to us in a big way but with the Silver Surfer cartoon like it didn't catch on it didn't run for multiple seasons it wasn't a hit like X-Men or Spider-Man I'm curious why you think that might be even though a lot of people seem to recognize the Silver Surfer. It should not have been Saturday morning on Fox. And ours, I I feel like it was like 11, 11, 30. Like it was the last cartoon on Fox. It was before its time. No, when it should have been Adult Swim. Yeah. If like Silver Surfer, the, the visuals are amazing. Just full blown Kirby color explosion. Just so cool. The cosmic aspect of it, philosophical. I think there's some... 60s culture in Silver Surfer that's never gone away. And I'm not saying this as endorsement or judgment, but I'll say there's a lot of adult swim shows that I do believe certain people watch in certain states of altered consciousness. Mm. And that Silver Surfer cartoon would have been perfect for that audience. <laughs> and I think it would have been huge. I think if they threw it on today, just like, hey, we're we're a Warner-owned company, but we signed a deal. We're going to throw this cartoon on today. I think it'd be huge on there. Or if it was just, you know, even on Disney Plus now, if they're saying, here's a Silver Surfer, because it took itself so seriously, you know, he's not a goofy character. He's not like a, whoa, here we go. We're having an adventure. You know, like that's not Silver Surfer at all. It appeals to adults. Even if it had been on MTV and they had gone even more true, like it, would, it probably would have caught on there. But uh, why don't you take us into our last piece here? So... In addition to being a milestone for the format and features of the magazine, issue 81 was also the April Fool's issue. And I'm sure on uh, Wizards Podcast 81.5, Adam will point out some of the April Fool's jokes throughout this issue. Very good. Very entertaining. Uh, the big prank they pulled off was a full-page painted movie poster for James Cameron film, Spider-Man the Movie. And this poster is, like, it's fake, but it's beautiful looking. Yeah. It's really nice. Featured on the poster and listed in the credits were Leonardo DiCaprio as Peter Parker, Nikki Cox, that timestamps this big time. Uh, I had a huge crush on her. I would. I know, but it timestamps it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as Mary Jane, Kevin Spacey as Green Goblin, but also name only Robert. G Gilliam. I always say Yom. I think that's how you say Yom, it. maybe. Obviously, it's Robbie Robertson, Bill Paxton, maybe it's Eddie Brock, Michael Douglas is J. Jonah Jameson, not bad. Catherine Hepburn is Aunt May, that was never going to happen. Given how influential and legitimized Wizard was at the point, it makes you wonder how many fans they fooled with this. Now, I'm flipping through, I'm not really paying attention, I'm flipping through the issue preparing for this, and I'm like, what is this? And I'm getting my years messed up, because we did get Spider-Man movies eventually, and I'm just kind of getting messed up, I'm like, what is this? And there's also very frequently, and if you've ever like done a deep dive on canon films, very often you produce a poster before the movie's even done. So I'm like, is this something that like got canceled along the way? And then I'm like, oh, it's parody. Like this is a good par it's a good parody. It is beautiful art and it makes a lot of sense. There is not a doubt in my mind, judging by like it's it's toned down in the last couple of years, but it used to be every April 1st, um, a lot of websites had some really good pranks or fake products or stuff like that. It's died down the last few years. Now, doubt in my mind, 
and maybe you know as you continue reading there's going to be letters going i thought this was real not a doubt in my mind i mean like you said just the production value of the poster the way it's painted the way it's laid out the only thing is at the very bottom it has very tiny text that says parody and that's how you know that that's you know a joke on their part but still like it's it's something that even later on when they keep doing spider-man movie news coverage they reuse this poster to say like it's been in development hell for all these years tied up with legal entanglements whatever but they used this poster again i think because they just loved it so much it came out so well so but hey you know there's a couple other guys who were looking to get their projects uh, onto the silver screen or at least your cable television screen so it's time that we rev up jim and todd's hype machine So in Todd McFarlane news, this issue, as the Spawn animated series was preparing to launch its second season on HBO, the supervising director, Eric Radomski, was reflecting on the first season, and he said, quote, with critics, you would think it was some sort of pornographic material we were doing, and yet people were watching in droves. To be honest, the only negative letters we got were people who were pissed we didn't have more shows. <laughs> the second season was touting guest stars like alternate reality Marty McFly, Eric Stoltz, Dermot Mulroney, and Nick Turturro. Now, I have to say this. Had I known, I, I had no idea but I interviewed Nick Turturro recently from this other website I, I work with called Pop Geeks. And if I had known he was on the Spawn series, I totally would have asked him. I tried to ask him about Justice League Dark, but then he had this interruption from like his grandson in the background. He's like, oh, he didn't hear the question. So I never got to talk to him about his superhero voice work and all that. But I'm just curious for you, Kevin, like I know you were a Spawn guy. So were you loving like the series? Did you have access to it at the time? Did not have access to HBO at the time. I was legally an adult, but I was still living at home. And I had not figured out what I did later, mostly so I could get wrestling pay-per-views, was I made a deal with my mom that I would be in charge of the cable. I'd pay the bill. I'd do whatever for it. And that was my, quote, rent. But that meant I could order any wrestling stuff and not have to ask permission. <laughs> I, I should have grabbed HBO at the time. I didn't have it. And looking into this, I'm like, well, what year did this come out? I'm like, oh, I was in college. I was at the local community, but I was still in college. And I had my first serious girlfriend. So even if I had HBO, I was probably too busy. At 11 o'clock at night or whatever. Yeah, when it was yeah on a Friday, Saturday night, whatever it was. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's interesting with critics. You would think it was some sort of pornographic material we were doing. Yeah, because a lot of people, unfortunately, critics, especially not those in the know and geeks like us, but a lot of them were like, cartoons are for kids. They were still thinking that at this time. And Spawn is not for kids. Well, and I will say, I mean, he's saying that, but I've watched some of the episodes. There is pornographic material, like not even just but like nudity. There was there was a scene where Chapel is in this bar, and there's he's in some sex bar where people are on stage doing it, and they're just like carefully blocked out. I was like, what is this? Like, I mean, they were really pushing it. I was just like, this is insane. You wouldn't see this anywhere. Probably still better than real sex on HBO. <laughs> Get more for your money, yeah. All oh. right, Kevin, take us into our Jim Lee news here. 
All right. On the Jim Lee side, this issue features a photo diary of Jim McLaughlin visiting the Wildstorm offices in a feature called Storm Watch. The most hilarious image is McLaughlin entering the offices with his suitcase, a pink Barbie pillowcase and bathrobe, which longtime readers would recognize as Jim Lee's monogram bathrobe the wizard staff stole from him at the most recent San Diego Comic-Con. This may have been most comic readers' first look at up-and-coming pros like Travis Charest, Ryan Benjamin, Danger Girl writer Andy Hartnell, and Jim Lee's longtime collaborator, Brandon Choi. Interesting to note that the staff were listening to the Jerky Boys while they worked past midnight, and an open issue of Wizard was spotted on Jim Lee's desk. This really is a fascinating look at the Wildstorm offices at the time, at a whole lot of things. It was really fun. Yes, you get to see pictures of the people, you know the names, but you don't actually know the faces. Just how much money they had, and here's these offices and all the crazy stuff that we had, how hard everyone's working, part of the same team there. Really interesting. I like his photographer passing out in this random, like, cubbyhole thing that just happens to be in the office and doesn't seem like it serves any purpose, but is great for a nap. Like, really, really fun article. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in here. I will mention that Jeff Marriott, who we've had on the Wizard Files, is featured a few times as well because he wore many hats in the Wildstorm offices. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of fun to see him there. But all right, one other thing I have to mention real quick is that, of course, Wizard has to provide an update on the Gen 13 animated film, which still did not have a release date at this time. But I have a very special update on a piece of Wizard and Gen 13 movie history to share for the last two years russ berlingame who uh, is the writer of best movie ever which is an oral history of the uh josie and the pussycats movie from the early 2000s great book he's a great like champion of that but he used to work at wizard he used to be an intern okay and when we had him on he told me you know i have the gen 13 movie vhs that was sent to the wizard offices for them to watch it and review it and mention it in the magazine and he's like it just somehow ended up with me at the end of my tenure there he's like i didn't steal it on purpose and he's like but i can't find it i can't find it and so i've been checking in like every six months you know and he'll check in with me he's like dude i'm going through my stuff i'll find it eventually he finally found it he finally sent it to me and i I have it in my hand here it is just a nondescript like there's no label on it he said it used to have a label it fell off which is why he couldn't find it but i have it now in the archives here it plays great i've got you know i'll share it a little bit later on one of our haul videos as well but that was just a piece of wizard history how much this movie was mentioned over and over again to finally have their copy is just amazing so i can't believe it thank you so much russ and check out his book guys best movie ever it's it's excellent Excellent. It's actually, I should say, it's totally jerkin. If you've seen the movie, you know what that means. <laughs> Have you already watched that tape? I've watched some of it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the movie before, but right. yeah. That's what I was wondering. Like, is there any difference that you can tell? That That's what I've been trying to keep an eye out for. Like, is there extra nudity? Is there? Because I thought this would have a timestamp on it, but surprisingly, it doesn't. Like, I thought it would be like one of those copies. But either way, like, it's pretty neat. I haven't watched it all the way through. So that's what, by the time I do the haul video, I'll have a little bit more to say about it. But I just wanted to drop that here because I was <laughs> like two years and he came through. So that was great. But let's get uh, into our final tally here. Kevin, you want to give it to him? Ooh, I get to give the tally. Yeah. I would feel honored. As of this edition of Wizard, in this issue, Jim Lee is mentioned six times. Todd McFarlane is mentioned three times. Oh. <laughs> Which brings our grand total of Jim Lee to 479, Todd McFarlane to 448. We still got a lot of time, a lot of issues of Wizard ahead, still anyone's game. 
That's right. Hang in there. Well, it's time to close out here. We like to leave you with a laugh, and Wizard certainly attempts it over and over again. So that's why we're going to give you Turok's Top 10. What I find interesting about these top 10 lists is they are very topical. They are always seeming to grab the the moment in time. And this in particular is very of the moment because this list is the top 10 ways the Winter Olympics would have been different if comics characters competed. So we'll see what road this takes us down. But why don't you get us started, Kevin? All right. Number 10. Jerkweed let Varian judge an iron mask seems to give 0.0 scores to everyone. Hmm. What a grumpy fella. All right. Number nine, the Scarlet Skier and the Black Racer fail to capture any medals in the men's downhill slalom. Go berserk and condemn mankind to extinction. Huge ratings that night. So Black Racer, I know, is Scarlet Skier also a new gods character? What is that? Or is that from Amalgam? Like, what is that? Scarlet. I have no idea. I know Black Racer. Yeah. That's going to just mess me up the rest of the day now, <laughs> isn't it? Okay. Number eight. Brother Voodoo's Jamaican bobsled team loses, but wins the hearts of people everywhere and becomes the subject of a Disney flick called Voodoo Runnings. Starring the zombified corpse of John Candy. Ugh. That last part's distasteful, but I do love everything before that. I mean, that that's pretty hilarious. Gotta get a cool runnings reference when you can. Number seven, Mr. Freeze banned by Olympic Committee for testing positive for both steroids and pre-stone. <laughs> Number six, Brother Power the Geek, unable to find a luge partner, kills and eats half the Olympic audience in his rage. I just don't know. I mean, is they're saying he's a literal geek? Like he bites the heads off chickens? Like, cause I... it, it's a capital G. True, I guess. I mean, brother voodoo, they seem to be against anybody who has brother in their name. They're they're worth mocking. All right, number five, Snapper Car competes in the slalom. It doesn't really do that well, but considers it a good experience nonetheless. Huh? This was just adorable for like I I'm not even getting it, but it just seems sweet. <laughs> that uh, one is. That one's just like nothing. That, yeah, that one, not the whole list. That one. Yeah. Peekaboo Street sends GW Bridge home in tears when she tells him, Your name is like dumb. Everybody, do you remember Peekaboo Street? I remember her. Yeah, she she was kind of like the cool Winter Olympics gal. She was kind of like the Diablo Cody of the Winter Olympics, I feel like. Wow, I cannot disagree with that. Okay, number three, Batrock the Leaper wins France a gold medal in hockey, but is later disqualified for wearing a Jerry Lewis t-shirt to the medal ceremony. How dare he? Number two, Batman hits the ice and voila! skates pop out of his boots oh they had to mock batman and robin it's mockable number one yes indeed the number one way that the winter olympics would have been different if comic characters competed tanya harding tries to kneecap nancy kerrigan again but kerrigan's new bodyguard frank castle pops a cap in her white trash ass wow i mean is she a tragic figure now because margot robbie played her like, Tanya Harding wasn't evil. It was her cohorts. It was her boyfriend. Like, it's interesting. The whole thing, like, I remember watching, my mom is a huge figure skating fan. Huge. I knew way more about figure skating than I should because, you know, I'd always watch it with her when I was younger. 
I, I said then, I still say, say to this day, Tanya Harding should not have been allowed to compete at those Olympics. I can't. Yeah. Why? I mean, did they just not know yet, though? Like, they oh, did. no, they do. Like, they wow. couldn't prove that, like, she knew anything about it. But I'm like, yeah, you're way too close to this. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Wow. OK, well, hey, there you go. Uh, just guard your knees this year, everybody. As we go into the winter season, make sure that you're protected. But hey, Kevin, this was fun, as always. So glad that you could make it. So glad we could have this chat because there's fun to be had talking about 90s comics, but especially with, with people you like and know. So that's excellent. But I want to hear, you know, and everybody else does, I'm sure, Kevin Hellions is back. What are you back. planning? What do you got in the works for us? Where should we be looking for you? All right. Everything is currently being rebranded as Hellion's Team. So at Hellion's Team on your social medias, hellionsteam.com. Most of the redirects should be working. If I miss something, please let me know. In addition to this podcast, you can hear my voice with my friend Chris on the Pop Culture Pub Network. I'm the only American that's on the show. No matter if there's only two of us or five of us, I am always the only American on the show and the rest are all Canadian. So it's very different pop culture viewpoint. There's stuff that they see or remember that we never saw here in the States or, or at different times or different ways or whatever. Always interesting. At some point, there is going to be a new podcast. I don't quite know what we're doing and if it's solo or interviews or with someone else, but there's many ideas and plans for it. I plan on doing my own writing contributing to the retro network which hosts this podcast as well i have lots of things i want to do and i started patreon forever ago with everything going on it kind of got forgotten but i plan on going back to it and for my patreon much like people's complaint about spawn i'm going to take things that appear more adult and i might not want on my main site and do deep dives on it there where it's a little bit private it's a little bit hidden the kids can't see it but we can still do deep dives and discuss certain things Okay, well, that's it. Hey, Hellion's team, look for it, find it, get it where you can. But of course, you know how to find us, right? Hey, we're on your socials. We are on X. So yeah, for the time being, oh. you can find us at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics, on Blue Sky. Hey, get your invitation from a friend to get on over there. Uh, we are there at Wizards Comics. Find the YouTube channel. What do you want over there? Well, you want haul videos. You want access to a totally different brand of content than what we do here. It's still 90s comics it's still a lot of fun stuff but we're not just reposting the podcast or outtakes or anything it's all original content over there of course kevin just mentioned his we gotta mention ours patreon.com forward slash wizards comics we just got our first patron from brazil obrigado uh, i'm going to all my portuguese right now but thank you for uh, being a part of that but we also want to thank all of our patrons across the world so we'll start with bruno thank you so much bruno for joining us but how about david m dalibor js evan bryant gary hutcherson fernando pinto jeremy daw greg schuler melt face killer brian Acosta, Steve King, Dead of Jedi, Mitchell Hall, Lee Markowitz, Stephen Forshaw, Mickey Jason at the Retro Network, and Mark McDonald. Also want to mention uh, one of the new perks that we've added is a private chat that's not Discord. It's not just on Patreon. It's actually part of the Slack app uh, for the Retro Network. And so our patrons get an opportunity to join that VIP lounge there, but also they get a chance to have a private chat directly 
with me and hopefully eventually Michael he's not Mr. Social Media he's very busy these days but he does have access to the Slack app so who knows when he'll pop on there plus the other members of the Retro Network family and other patrons in a private Wizards conversation so we've been having some fun chats about comic book movies and our favorite Batman artists and things like that over there so just one more perk to look forward to but yeah every week we seem to be adding more so you should be joining the crew over there get your scan of the issue get your uncut version of the episode up to two weeks early so sometimes we're even doubling up and so you're getting them way ahead of time and of course there's also our 90s super cinema series where we're going to be covering blade very soon for that as well just our bonus patreon podcast and uh, hey if you want to find a t-shirt go on over to tpublic.com sport it at the latest convention you're going to but yeah just stay tuned for the mini episode where we'll give you updates on what is to come in the future wizard was publishing a lot of specials and those are on the way but hey until next time keep your books bagged and boarded This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.